What Jesus meant by the kingdom of God is arguably the most disputed question in all of New Testament scholarship. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have John Collins, Holmes Professor of Old Testament Criticism and Interpretation, and Jennifer Hurt, Gilbert L. Stark Professor of Christian Ethics. We're transferring All Saints Day to this Sunday, so they're discussing Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, and verses 15 through 18, and Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 31, which are appointed for All Saints Day in year C. Here are the texts. Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, and verses 15 through 18. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream. I, Daniel, saw in my vision by night the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was troubled within me, and the visions of my head terrified me. I approached one of the attendants to ask him the truth concerning all this. So he said that he would disclose to me the interpretation of the matter. As for these four great beasts, four kings shall arise out of the earth, but the holy ones of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 31. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes away what is yours, do not ask for it back again. Do to others as you would have them do to you.
This is such an interesting pairing of texts. We have this apocalyptic vision in Daniel, and then we have we have Luke's Beatitudes. John, can you say just a little bit about what is going on here in the Daniel text, and specifically, I mean, the kingdom. The kingdom appears in both of these texts, but the, what the kingdom means in Daniel is not not quite clear. Now. This passage, at least in Daniel, most of the book of Daniel, was written in response to persecution in Jerusalem in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes that led to the Maccabean Revolt in the years 168 to 164 before Christ. Now, it's set up in Daniel that there is a sequence of world kingdoms. So you have four kingdoms that come, the fourth is the worst of the lot, and then after this he has his vision of a figure coming on the clouds of heaven who receives the kingdom. And then it also says the kingdom was given to the holy ones. Now, a lot of people reading this take it to mean that the kingdom passes to the Jews, But that isn't actually the primary meaning of the passage because the holy ones aren't human beings. They're angelic beings. And the Jews only come into it at the very end of the chapter as the people of the holy ones. So the kingdom is given to the Jewish people, but it is under the aegis, so to speak, of the angels. And the one like a son of man who is interpreted later in Christianity as Christ, in the context of the Maccabean crisis, this would have been seen as the archangel Michael, who is the one who rises in victory then at the end of the book. So while kingdom and some kind of sovereignty on earth is given to the Jewish people, at the same time, the emphasis really is on divine rule. It's the rule of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, if you like. It's divine sovereignty. That's the point. And they don't really tell you anything as to what that kingdom will be like once it gets established. It's much clearer on how the negative forces will be removed. I I find that this is just fascinating. So in in some sense, then, we can see that both of these texts are, are asking whose is the kingdom, Right? Whose is the kingdom? And and in Daniel, there's this emphasis on the four great beasts, and then the, you know they're removed, and the kingdom is given to to the holy ones of the Most High. And your explanation of that that, that this is the angels, and this is this is therefore the sovereignty of God. It does actually seem then to make a new kind of sense of of the talk of the kingdom of God in the Gospels, because the, here, too, we have an attempt to, to talk about what does the sovereignty of God look like? What, what is this kingdom of heaven? And, and it's, given, it's given some content here. Uh, you were complaining that there's not much content in Daniel. Well, in Luke, well, you want to say something yeah. first? In, yeah. in Luke, it is given content, because what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God is arguably the most disputed question in all of New Testament scholarship. And the poles of the debate are, on the one hand, did he mean something that would lead to a visible change of conditions on earth? And there is a school of scholarship that holds that very strongly, 
that Jesus was a social reformer in effect or was a social prophet who was predicting a change of circumstances. And the other pole of the debate says, no, actually the kingdom is a spiritual state. And that it's something, if you say, blessed are you who are poor, yours is the kingdom of God, you are already in the kingdom of God. In other words, it doesn't require a big visible change in the world as a whole. Now, I'm inclined to think, you know, that each of these may fit some passages in the New Testament. Actually, the Gospel of Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, which makes you think that he's more interested in spiritual conditions. Luke, on the whole, you know, is interested in nitty-gritty stuff. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. And I think Luke probably is anticipating some kind of change. This seems to be another connection between the Daniel and the and the Luke, that they're both proclaiming a, a reversal of fortunes. There's going to be some kind of reversal in the kingdom. Daniel is seeing the, the demotion of the, the beasts and the elevation of sovereignty under the Most High. And, and as you're saying in Luke, it seems to be this, this elevation of the poor and the hungry and those who weep and so on. But, you know, it culminates in this call to love your enemies. And that strikes a very different note, doesn't it? Because if it's just a matter of reversal of fortunes, there's always the danger that the ones who were poor and the ones who were meek are now going to lord it over everybody else. And, and you know, they're going to be the rich ones who are, who are now trampling on the poor. And that conclusion that calls for love of enemies seems to just take the carpet, take the rug out of the feet of that particular it, reading of the it, reversal of fortunes. It, it takes a lot of the enjoyment out of what they can look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> if they were really looking forward to having the situation reversed and putting their boot on the neck of the oppressor, so to speak. And it also suggests that maybe the reign of God is this thing that is possible in the midst of poverty because it is possible to love one's enemies. It's just the hardest thing to do. You know, if you have a commitment to social justice, reading the Old Testament is very satisfying. There are plenty of passages in the prophets that amount to saying, woe to you who are rich. It's, uh, you know, imprecations against the rich and the powerful and definitely looking for a transformation of the earth. In the New Testament, that isn't nearly as clear. And this can become frustrating because in the New Testament, there is a new factor. And that is that you have an expectation of resurrection of the dead. And therefore, you can, in principle, defer justice to the next world. Now, it's very controversial whether that is the right way to read it. The Gospel of Luke, I think, is a good test case for it because Luke is the one among the Gospels who puts most emphasis on real social factors, on things like hunger, poverty, and on the removal of those things. But at the same time, I don't think Luke is saying, and all will be well when those who are poor now become rich. That might smack of a prosperity gospel. And a prosperity gospel most certainly has no basis in the gospels. 
I think the what you may have, though, is more of an ethic of detachment. You also have in Luke, say, stories about the rich man who built his barns and thought he had it made and then dies. And in the, the Beatitudes, also you have the, the lilies of the field. One shouldn't be worried about what you will eat and what you will put on. Now, that requires detachment. So it's not really the hope for material well-being, but it's the negation of the, the obsession with material well-being that has dominated the previous kingdoms. Yeah, but there is this other note that's also present, which is sort of the dignity of the poor is being accentuated. And even, you know, certainly in the, the blessings that are being, being declared, but also in this insistence that we must do to others as we would have them do to ourselves, that there is, a, there is a sense in which it does matter. It does matter how we act toward one another. It's not, in that sense, not wholly a matter of indifference, how we lead our lives here and now. Yeah, well, no, detachment is not indifference in any case. So it definitely matters how we lead lead our lives uh, here and now. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. But you touch on a very important point with the dignity, because if you ask, you know, what did Jesus actually do for the poor? Well, one thing he did was hang out with them, respect them, give them dignity, and I think that's maybe a lot of what's being said here when he says. You who are poor, yours is the kingdom of God. It's a change of attitude. Connecting back to this idea then that in Daniel, this, the kingdom arrives with God's sovereignty. Luke is evoking the kingdom of God as arriving when the poor are given their dignity. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Professors Collins and Hurt, for your insights for All Saints Day. For a transcript of this episode and tons of other Bible study resources, visit YaleBibleStudy.org. And keep up to date with our upcoming events by following us on Twitter, at BibleYale. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. Mixing on today's episode and our theme music are by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.